If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. He was a reformed ladies' man looking to settle down with a new love. Doug changed over the years uh, being on the road. He got lonely on the road, I believe. She got along with everybody there. We all thought, well, this could be it. But when this loving brother fails to appear for a holiday celebration, concern mounts. She drove back looking for him, and he wasn't there. It was his Facebook page, so you just, why would he say that? We were concerned with him going out there and shooting himself or hanging himself. Detectives soon uncover a myriad of lies and deception that leaves everyone reeling. He was leaving her for another woman. Their text messages very plainly illustrated the fact that this was planned. He said he would take the boxes and put them somewhere when nobody would find them. You don't take a human body and throw it away like a piece of garbage to never be found. That man looked at me and started coming at me, and he said, what the f We just could not believe something like that happened. How cruel can a person be? November 26, 2015. In Pekin, Illinois, the Bailey family is gathering for a Thanksgiving feast. But by late afternoon, the holiday celebration takes a worrisome tone when 51-year-old Doug Bailey fails to arrive. We're all texting going, hey, Doug, where are you at? You know, um, and then he said, I'll be there in a little while. But as the hours tick by, there is still no sign of Doug or his live-in girlfriend, 45-year-old Rose Kunai. 
He said he was at the world's largest truck stop around 12 something, I think it was. And it only takes two hours to get from the truck stop to, you know, our house um, in Illinois. And then three o'clock rolls around, still no Doug. Six o'clock rolls around, no Doug. With Doug's family unable to reach him, they attempt to contact Rose. I called Rose and that's what she told me that Doug and her got into an argument and uh, Doug got out of the pickup truck and started walking. She said he got out of the truck and she drove off and then she felt guilty and came back and Doug was gone. When Rose says she hasn't heard from Doug either, an unsettling feeling begins to take hold. We're waiting for a phone call from Doug and we're getting nothing. And I, then I knew by that night, something was wrong. Born on July 1st, 1964, Douglas Bailey was the 11th child for Jim and Bonnie Bailey. He was just loved by everybody. He was a character even when he was in diapers. Doug was always the life of the, the house. He was just a smiley, funny little boy. At age 15, Doug decided to put his education aside and join the workforce. He wasn't crazy about school, so he, he wanted to drop out, you know, to work for dad. My dad had his big sawmill out, and Doug's job at night was going down and cleaning up the sawmill after all the employees went home. Times were good for the Baileys, but in 1981, tragedy struck when Doug's 19-year-old brother Larry was shot and killed during a fight. His brother went to the house where his girlfriend supposedly was. He was met at the door with somebody with a shotgun who shot him and cold blood right there on the door. We went to the hospital and um, Larry was gone. It, it tore our family apart. Larry's death hit everyone hard, especially younger brother Doug. They did everything together. And then um, when Larry got killed, Doug changed. He just didn't seem to care about life as much. While Doug struggled to cope with his brother's death, he found strength in the arms of his first love, Tammy Potts. Doug and Tammy, they were such a cute couple. They did everything together. I thought those two should have married and left it at that. <laughs> In 1982, the Bailey family moved to Florida to start a new venture. Dad had like a logging business where they went into the swamps and they um, shipped the cypress and put them in trucks. Also making the move to Florida with the family was Doug's girlfriend, Tammy. When she became pregnant, Doug was in heaven. He was walking on cloud nine. He loved that little guy so much. In 1991, Doug's dad moved the business to Iowa, and Doug moved with it. Shortly after the move, Doug's relationship with Tammy ended, 
But Doug never gave up on finding love. And then he met Shannon. Her and Doug had a really good relationship. They seemed to get along great. I thought he finally settled down. He found somebody to live out his life with. In June of 1993, Doug and Shannon married. And within a few years, the couple welcomed two children of their own. To support his growing family, Doug took to the road driving a truck for a living. Doug decided to get into trucking when my dad decided to go out of business. Doug and trucking, that was a good mix. And plus, it's something, you know, Doug was a small statured guy. He loved his big truck. But life on the road proved hard on Doug's relationship with Shannon. In 2004, the couple divorced after 11 years of marriage. He was cheating on her. He would be gone two and three days at a time. And uh, she finally just couldn't take no more. Doug stayed in Fort Madison, Iowa to be close to his kids, but much of his time was spent on the road. Doug changed over the years uh, being on the road. He got lonely on the road, I believe. In 2009, a new face in his own neighborhood caught Doug's eye, 38-year-old Rose Kunai. She was visiting with her grandparents, and that's how they both met. She was out there for 4th of July, and Doug lived next door to her grandmother's, and he would help her grandmother doing different things around the yard or if she needed something heavy moved. Rose was appreciative of Doug's help, and the two soon grew close. Rose started coming to Iowa a little more often to see Doug. She worked part-time for a construction company, and then she also was an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota. Rose taught a introduction to construction class, and she was very well liked among her students. After dating for a year, all that remained was for Doug to introduce Rose to his sizable family. On September 18, 2010, at a birthday party for Doug's father, the Baileys got their first look at Doug's new love. I fell in love with her. I loved her smile. She was very nice. Rose got along with everybody there. We all thought, well, this could be it. Ten months later, Rose and Doug decided that instead of a wedding, they would pledge their love by holding a special commitment ceremony attended by family and friends. It was so much fun. Rose had a wedding dress that she had cut the bottom of it off and just wore the top of the dress. Doug came out in his Vikings helmet. It was hilarious. With another chance at love, Doug decided to give up his life as a long-haul trucker and settled into something closer to home. He had expressed that he didn't want to work the road anymore. That's when I mentioned to him that where I was working was hiring and it was all local work and trucking, and that's what he did. For Doug, the new job provided everything he hoped for, a chance to build on what was already a wonderful relationship with Rose. Doug was really happy with Rose. I thought, you know, these guys get along so well. They just, like, complement each other. Doug being so funny, her being so serious, and they just kind of blended together. 
But on Thanksgiving Day 2015, their happily ever after romance appears to be in jeopardy when Doug goes missing after a purported roadside tiff with Rose. Rose said she didn't know where he was. Rose couldn't tell us anything at that point. None of it sounded right. I kept texting Doug saying, where are you? And finally just became desperate. Doug, contact somebody, anybody. Just let us know you're OK. Coming up, Doug's loved ones activate an all-out blitz to find him. We put flyers everywhere, rest areas, truck stops, gas stations, you name it. And a social media post steers the search in an unexpected direction. It was a Facebook post that surprised us all. She had posted on Facebook a picture of her and Doug kissing. And I said, oh my god, did you see this? On Thanksgiving of 2015, the Bailey family's beloved 51-year-old brother, Doug, appears to be missing. According to his girlfriend, Rose, he was last seen walking away from her truck after they had a heated argument. We believed that he walked away from the car and that she drove back looking for him and he wasn't there. When the Bailey family reaches out to police, they are told they must wait 48 hours before filing a missing persons report. But for this close-knit family, delaying the search for Doug is out of the question. We weren't going to let Doug stay missing. No, that ain't the way it works, especially not as Bailey's. We put flyers everywhere, rest areas, truck stops, gas stations, you name it. We, we just flooded Facebook with it. Doug's older sister, Sheila, soon receives an intriguing tip. Her social media post about Doug being missing spread nationwide really quick. So a truck driver from Missouri had called her and said that he thought he had saw Doug walking down the interstate. He explained a jacket that Doug might have had, a black bag that Doug might have had. They say everybody's got somebody that looks like them, and you know, sometimes those tips and those reports are going to be people that look similar, but turned out to be not true. We are at our wit's ends. We have tried and done everything we can to try and find Doug, and we can't find him. By Monday morning, with four days passed and nowhere else to turn, Sheila contacts police again and demands a response. That very morning, I called him again. We cannot find my brother, Doug, and therefore, there became a case number, and Doug was reported missing. That same day, police meet with Sheila and begin collecting information about her missing brother. She immediately said, this is not like Doug not to show up. Um, so that right there kind of first gave us a, a red flag that there might be more to the story. Sheila also relays a key piece of information, 
Though Doug was in a committed relationship with his live-in girlfriend, Rose Kunai, he'd recently been unfaithful when he began seeing 45-year-old Brenda Hughes. Brenda Hughes was a friend of Doug's that he had known in Illinois before and had rekindled a relationship with her over the past year. And on November 18th, just a week before Doug was reported missing, Doug's friends and family noticed something unexpected on social media. Brenda had posted on Facebook a picture of her and Doug kissing. And I was at my sister Carol's house, and I looked, and I said, oh my god, Carol, did you see this? It was a Facebook post that surprised us all. Every time we saw Doug, Rose was there. So the picture of Doug with this Brenda was just out of left field. There was like three photos Brenda put up there. And Doug told her, he said, take them down, take them down now. He was concerned that Rose would see the picture and everything would blow up between Doug and Rose. And it did. I know Rose had already seen it by then. So that, I believe, humiliated her to see Doug actually with Brenda kissing. Sheila tells police that Doug was so enamored with Brenda, at one point he texted family members that he intended to bring Brenda with him for the Thanksgiving holiday. Sheila then tells us that the next day, she gets another text from Doug's phone saying that he had changed his mind and he's bringing Rose. He said, I can't leave my Rose. She'll be coming with me. Rose will be coming with me. We're like, as long as Doug was happy, you know, it's his life. He can choose however and whatever he wants. Learning of Doug's affair leads police to consider if Doug's love life played a role in his disappearance. There's obviously some issues with him and Rose, and now there's also a mistress. So that is also raising our suspicions that there might be motive in why Doug disappeared. We were not sure exactly what was going on if, if Doug did get out of the vehicle and run in the woods, like Rose said. So we had to reach out to talk to her. Over the phone, Rose tells detectives the same story she gave to Doug's family, that on their way from their home in Wisconsin to Doug's sister's house in Illinois, they got into an argument while driving down a rural road. Rose said that during the argument, she stopped, Doug got out and took off. She said that she just left and drove around for a few minutes and then came back because she was going to pick him up. But when she came back, she couldn't find him. Rose said that she waited around a little while and then eventually just left and went home. Rose explained that they got in a fight because he was leaving her for another woman, which was Brenda. Rose told us that Doug had cheated on her before and that they'd worked it out. And that you know, then she found out that he was doing it again. When we talked to Rose, we really wanted to try to get the location where Doug got out of the vehicle. We wanted to start our search from that area and then work our way out. She explained that it was an old logging road and an old uh, spot where him and his dad worked. After speaking with Rose, we can contact the cell phone carrier, give them their phone number, and they can give us the last, uh, usually several uh, location pings that when they use their cell phone, uh, where that location was. Police learned that Doug's phone was last used in Bettendorf, Iowa at 12.44 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. 
first phone ping was in a wooded area outside of Wildlife Prairie Park off of Route 8 in Peoria County. The other phone ping was in Bettendorf, Iowa, and then the other one was near the world's biggest truck stop on the interstate there in Iowa. Deputies contact Bettendorf, Iowa police and have them check the area with no results. They did not find Doug. I took that information along with Detective Watkins and we matched it up to where the phone pinged. So we theorized that he must have gotten out of the vehicle somewhere near like Route 8 and Taylor Road in Peoria County. With the cell phone pings and the information provided by Rose, investigators hope to zero in on Doug's whereabouts. Did he get out of the car and just walk in the woods? Did he get out of the car and contact Brenda? Or did something happen to Doug? Coming up, detectives speak to the other woman. At that point, I knew that something was up, and we just had to figure out what it was. But police soon learn a new detail that changes the course of the investigation. She had mentioned that he was suicidal. Why would Doug say these things? That's not how Doug talked. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. December 1st, 2015. During their investigation into Doug Bailey's disappearance, detectives reach out to Doug's newest love interest, Brenda Hughes. With the missing person and there's infidelity or a mistress involved, you're, you're of course gonna check to make sure that there's no foul play. When I called Brenda, she stated that she had talked to Doug a couple days before Thanksgiving and received a text message from him saying, put the beers on ice. Um, I'm on my way down. But Brenda tells Detective Watkins that Doug never showed up, and she hasn't heard from him in days. When speaking to Brenda on the phone, she did not seem nervous. Uh, she seemed worried, legitimately worried about Doug. 
To find out whether or not Brenda is telling the truth, police pull her phone records. We pinged her phone during that day, and it showed that she was still in the Princeton, Illinois area is where she lived. So at that time, we were very confident that Brenda had not came and picked up Doug. With Brenda ruled out and Doug still missing, police examined Doug's activity on social media. On his Facebook account, one particular post from Doug immediately raises red flags. There was some very strange messages. One indicating that I'm going to get out of here, I'm signing off, I'm going home, um, don't have to worry about me anymore, those types of phrases. That certainly made you think that Doug was thinking about ending his life. The suicide theory gains further traction when one of Doug's sisters explains to police that Doug had made an earlier attempt to end his life. She had mentioned that he was suicidal about 10 years ago. He, he tried to attempt to commit suicide, but um, was stopped. Doug was going through a problem with Shannon, the ex-wife. He was distraught because Shannon was leaving him, and she was divorcing him. I think he turned a car on in the garage, and um, like asphyxiation, Shannon, I believe, stopped him. And he did end up in a hospital for about a week. He was in there. Police now wonder if Doug's fight with Rose may have driven him over the edge again. I believe that it was just a matter of us going out into the woods and finding Doug and committed suicide. On December 2nd, using pings from his cell phone and information provided by Rose, police descend upon the location Doug was supposedly last seen. We were out there in suits and everything, walking around in its hillsides, uh, large hardwood forest with briars and sticker bushes and multifloral rows. I mean, it's very, very difficult to walk through. The meticulous search spans three days. I think they had probably 30 people out there. There were a couple of cadaver dogs out there. Unfortunately, during the third day searching for Doug, still no results, uh, still haven't found Doug. Definitely frustration was uh, starting to set in with us. I thought maybe we were just searching the wrong area, so I thought that we had to speak to Rose and try to pinpoint the exact location on where Doug got out of the truck. But when detectives reach Rose on the phone again and ask her to join them at the search location, they receive a surprising response. She just made an excuse, didn't want to come down. I said, what do you mean you're too busy? He's missing. Do you want to help us find him? She said, well, I can't get off of work. I, I can't afford to come down there. Rose gave the excuse that she didn't have money for gas. And that's when the red flags really started coming out with Rose. I asked her to go on Google Earth, try to pinpoint the location where Doug gets out of the vehicle. And then she comes up with a location that's five miles away from where she originally told us that Doug had got out of the vehicle. At that point is when I knew that something was up with Rose, and we just had to figure out what it was. With suspicion around Rose growing, detectives decide to take a more direct approach on December 7th. We got permission from our supervisor to drive from Peoria, Illinois, to 
Prescott, Wisconsin, which was like a seven or eight hour drive. We went the exact same path that they would have taken. One of Doug's Facebook posts said they were at the world's largest truck stop. So we wanted to see what that looked like. We wanted to see if they were actually there. I asked Rose about that, and she told me that, yes, they, they stopped at the truck stop to get gas. Upon arriving at the truck stop, detectives begin the tedious task of scrutinizing surveillance footage from November 26th, Thanksgiving Day. After several hours of reviewing footage, their tenacity pays off. Detective Watkins and I see a truck that fits the description of Rose's truck pull into the truck stop and pull up to a gas pump. We see two dogs jumping around, and we also see Rose. But we do not see Doug anywhere. When we see that Doug is not in the truck, we immediately know that we can't call Rose and confront her over the phone about this. Police notice something else in the footage that gets their attention. In the bed of the truck are two large white boxes. At that point, Detective Watkins and I both, both said to each other, I bet that's Doug. I bet Doug's in that box. There's foul play. She's lying to us. So then we contacted the local jurisdiction. We were able to get in a, a search warrant with the assistance of the Pierce County Sheriff's Office. And we went to Rose's house with the search warrant in hand to search her house. But when detectives arrive at the home, Rose is not there. We didn't really foresee that there was a, a huge safety threat for the officers, so we just set up all around our neighborhood and waited for her to come home. When we see Rose pull in, that's when we approach her, let her know where we're from and that we need to talk to her about the investigation. I said, Rose, do you want us to find Doug? And she looked at me and said, no. No, I don't want you to find him. There's way more to this story than we knew about. This could be a possible murder. That's when she went through the history of abuse and how mean Doug was to her. She's telling me about Doug grabbing her ass and squeezing it to the point where she's got bruises or you know, where he's forcing her to have sex. As detectives take Rose's emotional statement, their colleagues perform an exhaustive search of her home and vehicle. One of the officers found a, it was a cardboard box that a shotgun comes in when you go by it, and a partially empty box of shotgun shells. She was confronted about that. She said, well, that was supposed to go in the garbage, but I instead put it in the vehicle, which didn't really make sense or explain to us why there was an empty box of shotgun shells in her back seat. Just in her demeanor and the way of talking to her, I knew Doug was dead and that Rose had something to do with it, and I just had to figure out a way to get her to tell me. I just wanted to you know, sympathize and empathize with her and try to help her justify what happened. Rose was very frustrated when talking to her. She then just blurts out that he was going to kill me. And she said, well, I had no choice. Before Rose continues, detectives put her on pause. In Illinois, if it's a homicide uh, interview, you have to videotape the interview. I said, we were going to go back to Pierce County Sheriff's Office 
and you can tell me the story then. Coming up, police hear from Rose the horrifying truth of what happened to Doug. I saw the shotgun laying behind the clothes, and I picked it up, and I walked into my room, and he had this look. I was just amazed that, that someone could do this. And an unexpected motive surfaces. They had a sexual relationship for the last couple years. December 7th, 2015. After speaking to murder suspect Rose Kunai at her Prescott, Wisconsin home, detectives from Peoria County, Illinois, transport Rose to a local sheriff's office, hoping they're on the brink of a murder confession. She was pretty relaxed on the car ride there from her house to the sheriff's office. The Pierce County investigators get the room all set up. So Detective Watkins and I go in there. I read her Miranda rights. She paused, and then she explained her version of what happened. Rose says her interaction with Doug on the night of November 22, 2015, was both non-consensual and violent from the beginning. He reached around and he grabbed my crotch and he grabbed my breasts, and he whispered in my ear, and he said, he is going to have sex with me. Rose tells us they get upstairs, and Rose gets in the closet. And then Doug starts threatening to kill everybody in her family. I'm standing in there, and I'm scared. And he makes talking noises on the floor. Sick and telling your bitch, I'm coming after you. Rose says, fearing a sexual assault, she reached for a shotgun in the closet. I saw the shotgun laying behind the clothes, and I picked it up, and I walked into my room, and he had this look, and he called me a bitch, and he told me to get on my knees, and I fired the gun. And hit him over here, and that man looked at me and started coming at me, and he said, what the f And I fired again. Rose described the first shot in Doug's side and the second shot in Doug's chest. Rose goes on and says that after she shoots him, she panics, she knows her son's coming home. So she gets a sheet and drags Doug down the stairs, and she put Doug's body in the box. How did you fit in that box? How did you get him in there? I just put him in there. I just wanted him in there. OK. And he was still in the sheet? Yes, I had him wrapped up. She said that in between when it happened and the day that, you know, that we were there, that she painted, repainted the room and cleaned up all the blood and got rid of everything. Rose also explains she placed some of Doug's personal belongings into a second box in the shed, and over the next four days leading up to Thanksgiving, she assumed Doug's identity. She started using his phone and communicating with um, family, sent texts to Brenda, 
And then she is the one that actually was on Facebook using Doug's account. Rose said that she made the Facebook post that was suicidal in nature. Rose made the post that talked about them stopping at the biggest truck stop in the world. Rose made uh, the post telling Sheila that they were on their way down to Thanksgiving dinner. Is that where you made the text message or the Facebook post from? I did, because I, I thought I needed more time. And I just, I did not know what to do. And I remember that we were supposed to go down on Thanksgiving. Rose tells detectives that Doug's body stayed boxed up in the shed for four days until she finally reached out for help. A friend of mine a long time ago had said if I needed help, I could call. And so I called. This friend's name was Clarence Hicks. Rose says Clarence doesn't know about her killing Doug, just knows to get rid of the boxes. I did not tell him what was in the boxes. And he said he would take the boxes and put them somewhere where nobody would find them. I do not know where they are. Following her confession, on December 8th, Rose is arrested for the murder of Doug Bailey. As word of her arrest travels quickly, those following the case are shaken by the details. We're just, how cruel can a person be? We just could not believe something like that happened. When I heard Rose was arrested, I was, I don't want to say relieved, but at least I thought there was going to be some justice for his death. When we first met, I think Rose was very likable. She was fun. I was just amazed that, that someone could do this. You don't take a human body and throw it away like a piece of garbage to never be found. With Rose behind bars, investigators are eager to track down her potential accomplice, Clarence Hicks. Clarence was located uh, within a couple of days after Rose's arrest. Clarence was uh, cooperative with authorities and informed them that he had dropped the boxes off a bridge in Kentucky. He also stuck to his statement that he didn't know what was in the boxes. Clarence also reveals a piece of information to law enforcement that Rose conveniently omitted. Clarence did tell the troopers that interviewed him initially that uh, he and Rose had a sexual relationship for the last couple years. Rose told us nothing about a romantic relationship with Clarence. And one thing that definitely came to mind was that she didn't call police right after she killed Doug. Rose instead got rid of Doug by giving Doug's body to her lover, Clarence, and getting rid of that way, which shows possible motive that she intended to kill Doug prior to that night. Coming up, the attempt to recover Doug proves dangerous. It was very, very hard terrain, rock area that was several hundred feet below the bridge. And in a Pierce County courtroom, a stunning decision adds to the pain of Doug's family. I did cuss in the courtroom. I just said, what the just happened here?
With Rose Kunai in custody for the murder of her boyfriend, Doug Bailey, police are determined to recover the victim's remains. And Rose's other flame, Clarence Hicks, has agreed to help. Clarence showed where the two boxes were in Kentucky off a bridge in very, very hard terrain, rock area that was several hundred feet below the bridge. After further assessing the location of the boxes, investigators embark on the difficult recovery mission. It was a very intense effort to get the boxes back up to where they could recover them. One box had, unfortunately, Doug in it, and the other box had Doug's belongings. When Doug's body is recovered, by that point, there's 12 days of decomposition. Um, you know, and decomposition is going to be sped up by the fact that he's inside a box. I have seen decomposed bodies that have been shot, and determining what's an exit and what's an entry is harder the further along in decomp you get. For the Bailey family, the recovery of Doug's body proves crushing. That night on the news, we've seen them bring my brother's in a box up the mountainside. We were just in shock. While Doug's family begins to mourn, investigators receive the autopsy on December 9th, and it provides them with some additional insight into the shooting that took Doug's life. We were notified that the autopsy results were not consistent with what Rose said. Doug was shot one time in the side, and the other shot was in the back when Rose had said that she had shot Doug in the chest, coming at her. To tighten their case against Rose, investigators also tracked down the murder weapon. Rose told the Pierce County investigators that the gun was at her sister's house. They went to her sister's house, conducted a search, and they found pieces of the gun in her garage. And when police get their hands on records of electronic correspondence between Rose and Clarence Hicks, their findings only further incriminate both parties. The uh, Pierce County investigator did an awful lot of work tracking down all of their emails, their um, you know, text messages, and, and found all kinds of stuff that Rose had said. You know, I wish he was dead. I, you know, I need to get away from him, and things that very plainly illustrated the fact that this was planned. But while Rose faces a first-degree murder charge, the evidence against Clarence only garners the charge of hiding a corpse. Well, he took the advice of his attorney. He pled no contest, which is pleading guilty to hiding the corpse. While Clarence strikes a deal, Rose chooses a different path. And in August of 2016, her case goes to trial in a Pierce County, Wisconsin courtroom. The prosecution during this case focused on the motivation, the motive, prior conversations, and Clarence being involved in a relationship with her. But Rose's defense team argues she was justified in shooting Doug because of her allegations of physical and mental abuse. Rose had a very competent, brilliant, knowledgeable defense team that was able to tell her story in a way 
that truly represented the situation she was in. They showed photographs. There were pictures she took of herself that showed bruises on her legs and her hips, um, her back. There were no reports that I saw to the police department that reported Doug being abusive towards Rose. In one of the trial's most dramatic moments, Rose takes the stand and asserts the mistreatment she suffered at the hands of Doug. She claimed that he locked her up for three weeks and abused her. Rose's claims come as a shock to Doug's family. Oh, our mouths are dropping. Things that was coming out of her mouth that she said Doug did. I just didn't believe that, you know. She loved Doug literally to death. I believe she did this because Doug was actually going to leave this time, and she was going to lose him. On August 18, 2016, the burden of who to believe is placed on the jury's shoulders. After nearly 14 hours of deliberation, Rose is found not guilty of first-degree murder. But the jury is hung on a second-degree murder charge, resulting in a mistrial. I believe that some jurors were convinced that she was the victim of domestic violence in a terrible situation, and this was the only option for her. I dumbfounded. I was like, you got to be kidding me. She shot him. She packed him up like a present. And that's, how is that not murder? I did cuss in the courtroom. I just said, what the just happened here? I was devastated. The jury does convict Rose of hiding a corpse, but any chance of retrying her on the second degree murder charge is quickly put to rest when she agrees to a plea deal. The judge said, there may be people in court today that may not like what I'm going to say. And that's when he sends her to, I believe it was seven years of probation, time served as any prison time, and that was it. She was free to go. As Rose walks away from the courtroom a free woman, Doug Bailey's family is left with only memories of their beloved brother. What I miss the most about Doug is his antics, his jokes, his personality, how he can light up a room when he walks in. I miss so much about him. You could have a bad day, and he could make you laugh. You know, he always had something positive. I miss him more than life itself. To reach her plea deal, Rose Kunai pled guilty to aggravated battery. She remains free and faces no additional charges in the murder of Doug Bailey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.